what do they say? Third time's a charm. More like 30. Let's see if you can get it right this time. Hey, it's Sachit, and this is The Conscious Creator Show. Through exclusive interviews with authors, actors, entrepreneurs, musicians, other podcasters, and all kinds of creators, we'll explore how to make a life through your art without selling your soul. The creative side of business and the business side of being a creator, if you will. We've got a host of amazing partners like Brain.fm and other amazing companies. So head on over to creators.show, that's C-R-E-A-T-O-R-S dot show to get new episodes, exclusive guides, partner deals, and more. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode with one of my favorite bloggers who's actually local in Austin, Jane Co. So Jane is the blogger behind Taste of Cocoa, Austin's top food and travel blog featuring the hottest restaurants and weekend getaways. A Taste of Cocoa has been featured in O Magazine, InStyle Magazine, OWN TV Network, and the New York Times. And recently she actually launched her shop called Shop Coco and uh, her first book, Coco's Guide to Austin. And um, her content is probably one of my favorites. Just the amount of care that she puts into how she thinks about content. It's just so obvious when you go look at her content. Um, I'd actually recommend checking out her Instagram and just sort of, you can see how it's so beautifully crafted. And we had this discussion about a month ago in the middle of March, as the COVID-19 pandemic was starting to take foothold in the United States and is really present for our times because we talk a lot about what's happening in the influencer industry. One of my friends who's also going to be on the show and runs an agency actually sent me a message the other day. And I'm going to read a part of his message, which is also, I think what's happening right now is the death knell for social media influencers because in his guess, it is it eliminates 80% of them. And we talk about what's actually happening in the industry, how influencers are losing brand deals, brands aren't sponsoring. And we also talk a lot about her own creative process. Looking at her photos, I, I knew how well things were crafted. And we actually get to pay, take a behind the scenes of how she thinks about creating content. And really, um, the other two important things is we highlight two initiatives she launched as all of this was happening. One's called Hire a Creative. And the other is called 104 Hospitality. And really how, and a lot of the work she's done behind the scenes, which I actually wasn't aware of, to support the local Austin uh, restaurant and hospitality industry. So this is a really special episode, especially for people in Austin. I think we get a sort of like a peek behind and get to know one of our local food bloggers in, in a very different way. So without further ado, here's Jane. Jane, welcome to the interview, and thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. I've seen your stuff in Austin locally all the time, and I've got a lot of friends who follow your stuff, so it's excited to have this conversation. We were introduced by our friends, Claire and Courtney, and we're going to talk about a month ago, so it was going to be a very different oh conversation. Gosh, like a year ago. I forgot yeah. about that. Feels like decades ago, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so obviously we're going to talk about sort of like the the state of like what's happening in the influencer world with COVID-19 and coronavirus. Um, but sort of like before that, I want to get an idea of sort of like your current business and stuff. And, and this is sort of an abstract question. How do you describe to people what you do or did before this? Yeah. So I introduced myself as a blogger. I don't like the term influencer. So and it's also true because I started my blog in 2010 before mm -hmm. any of these social media platforms were around. So I usually just say like, hey, I'm, I'm a food blogger. And so that's how I introduce myself. And what are some of the like questions people always ask you when they, when they learn that or they, they learn about like having a following and stuff? Yeah. So I guess I'll also add that if I'm out and about, like say like I'm in an Uber, right? And, and the, the driver's like, what, what do you do? I actually don't ever say I'm a blogger because I hate, I hate getting these questions asked. So I usually just mm -hmm. say like, oh, I work in marketing or I'm a writer, just something really boring. So then they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then they just don't bother me. So, but if I do say I'm a blogger, the questions I get are like, oh my gosh, you must have like a glamorous life. Like what kind of blogging do you do? And then if I say like, I'm a food blogger and I travel sometimes and they'll say like, you must get all this free food all the time, or you must get all this vacation. And how long have you been doing this? Is this your full-time job? How long have you been doing it full-time? How much money do you make? How much free stuff do you get? 
really annoying questions. It's really interesting how everyone thinks like the best part of this is you get free stuff. Yes. And when you actually start doing it and start building a following from other people I've worked with and clients, like the most annoying thing is actually people I think who expect you to do stuff because they're sending you free stuff. It is. It is the most annoying. The most annoying part of being a blogger is the free stuff because the thing is, it's not free. It any samples I get or any like anything I get for free always comes at a cost of content creation. So for me, that's like hours of work that I have to put in to whether you know it could be like maybe thirty minutes from doing just an Instagram story. But if I decide I want to shoot photos and then like have to set up this whole photo shoot, like that's hours of time and then hours of editing. So the most annoying part is the free. Yeah, free is never free. Free is probably the most expensive thing ever. In, in terms of sort of like splitting your time, what is, and I guess, I guess like before this, what would sort of an ideal or normal week look like for you in terms of content creation and everything? Because I think people have a lot of misconceptions that like either like content creation is super easy or like it doesn't take that much time. So here's like, what is sort of like an I, a normal week look like? So I'm probably not the typical blogger in the sense mm-hmm. that I love my job. I really do. I love the amount of impact that I can have on my community. So for those of you guys that I guess don't, don't know who I am, I'm, I run a taste of cocoa, which is an awesome based food and travel blog. And I've been doing that since 2010 before this whole thing was cool. And I've been very tied to the city of Austin and the community that I live in. So I work about 80 to hundred hours a week, depending on the season. Busier seasons are usually like Q2, which is around May or June. So then my hours can go up from there. My typical week consists of restaurant tastings to local Austin restaurants in town. That's probably 50% of my workload. And I visit maybe three to four restaurants a week. And I, I have a brand pillar that I don't charge any advertising for any local business or restaurants. So even though 50% of my work is helping out the city of Austin and all the businesses and restaurants that are here actually never charged them a single cent, even though that's like 50% of my workload. So it's all this free work that I'm doing to give, to be able to bring awareness to these restaurants, keep them busy, but also provide this like guidance to people who are following me who want to know where to eat and things to do. The other, I guess, 40% would be lifestyle slash brand work. So that's any sponsored work with brands like Whole Foods, Jameson, Ikea, I don't know. I've I've worked with probably 300 brands at this point in this last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And um, so that can be anything from setting up a shoot in my house, going outside to shoot, having to source the outfit, having to figure out how to incorporate the product into the messaging. I would say of that 40%, that's like another 30% is just editing alone, which is editing the photos, writing the caption, having to send it to the brand for approval, doing edit, then the actual publishing, if if it includes a blog post. And then, I don't know, I guess 10% is like sleep slash personal time. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I think the, the, the middle part that you mentioned is actually super interesting. And, and we had uh, one of our common friends, Tessa, on a few a month ago, just talked about sponsorship and people found that very interesting. So, and I also shared this with you where even before we talked, I had a sense just looking at the stuff that you were putting out, like you had brand partnerships figured out in a way I think a lot of people don't. So what are some of the things like that for you were like surprising in, in terms of brand partnerships when you started doing that, that you've like now figured out? That brands have really big budgets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just really do. So when I first started doing brand partnerships, which was about maybe four years into my business, and I think that's also a common question that I get is, well, how long were you doing this before you started getting paid? And for me, I, I say like, well, it took me like four to five years. And then when people hear that, assuming that they want to be an influencer, they're like, oh my God, I don't have that kind of time to like wait five years for something to click. And I say like, no, it's not going to, it might not take you that long because it was a different time back in 2010. Like no brands are doing brand partnerships. Like they always did traditional advertising. It's always been traditional to spend advertising dollars on TV, radio, print, and like those kind of forms of medium. No one was reading like a blog. No one was really following personalities on Instagram. So back then, like I was doing brand partnerships for like $50, $100. And I was in, I was in college. So that was like really good money because that's mm-hmm. like I don't know, four hours to like an hourly pay, right? That you could just get within just shooting a photo. And then I think my first major partnership was in 2014 or 2015. It was with a, it was with a major cruise line and I had 
I think I had around 9,000 followers at the time. And then this cruise line approached me, made me sign an NDA. And they were like, we, our cruise line partner wants to like partner with you for one year partnership. Here's what we, here's the budget that we have in mind. And it was like a five digit budget. And they were like, is this okay? We don't know if that's within your budget. And for me, I was like, in my head, I was thinking, holy crap, that's a lot of money for just one partnership for a one-year contract. And I knew nothing about exclusivity because they were like, we want you to be exclusive with us, which I was like, not like I'm shopping around for cruise lines. So (laughs) yeah, I'm totally, I'll be loyal to you for a year. And then just seeing that kind of money is just obscene. However, like looking back, I'm like, yeah, I actually brought them a ton of value. I, I had to like create a lot of content. They basically came to me because they were like, we know you, you shoot beautiful photos or we assume that these are the photos that you're shooting or are you working with a photographer? And I think that's kind of what differentiates me from other bloggers is I shoot all my own content. I occasionally, if it's a photo of me, I might have to hire a photographer to help me shoot it. But most times I just try to rely on a tripod. So for brands, I think for that cruise line, especially they were like, yeah, we're getting like a two in one. We need exposure because we want millennials to think about cruising. And two, we need content, which is something that we were going to pay an ad agency, like easily 50 or hundred grand to shoot photos for a cruise line. And we can get that in one blogger. So it's like a great deal for them. And I'm glad, so glad that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people, especially like bloggers don't see that they are basically like bringing expertise in both content creation and distribution. And while a company is telling you like, they're going to pay you like a hundred dollars for, for an ad, they're paying a content creation agency, like five times that for content. That's actually worse off worse than yeah. what you're creating for them. What are other things you've learned sort of in this brand partnership world that were like surprising? And also like maybe like what, what are some of the mistakes that you made that you look back now you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Other surprising things I would say is still my current frustration is brands not listening is I, me and my agency, I'm signing the talent agency as of mm-hmm. since 2015. So maybe 2016, so about four years now. And sorry, no, I think it was 2017. So probably like two and a half years now. And it's still our frustration is whenever brands reach out, like I still do the first round of vetting. So anything that is a restaurant chain or sex, tobacco, CBD, I immediately jump in and I, so I filter all my emails, Mm -hmm. all the brand partnerships that I've received or have always been inbound to me. So it's like, Hey Jane, we're reaching out from X, Y, and Z agency representing X, Y, and Z client. This is what they love you. They would love to do this to you. Are you interested? So I do that first round of vetting. So anyone that's a restaurant chain, um, CBD, sex, tobacco, or um, I guess like protein powder is something that I'm also not really into is I'll say like, hey, thank you for reaching out. I really appreciate you thinking of me. However, this is just not an organic fit for me and my brand. And then sometimes if it's like CBD has been, there's a lot of money in CBD, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you're aware. Yep. Sometimes they'll say like, yeah, but we have a huge budget. You didn't even ask us how much money. And I'm like, it's not about the money. I just don't want to do it. No, thank you. And then for the ones that I feel like, oh, this might be a good partnership. I'll loop in my manager and say like, hey, here's my manager. She's seen this email. She'll take over the conversation from here. And then from there, you know, my manager will negotiate the rate. Then she'll come back to me and say like, hey, here's the brand. Here's what they want to do. Here's exclusivity terms. And here's the budget. Do you want to do it? And then I make the decision if I want to if I want to work on the project. And then sometimes, maybe like 70% of the time, I'll go back and say like, hey, I absolutely want to do this, but I think I want to do this instead with the brand. Like, let me tell the story like this. So we'll present it back to the agency to present back to their client, the brand. And it's disappointing and it's frustrating. And it's shocking to me that 70% of the time they will be like, no, no. Yes, that sounds like a great idea, but no, unfortunately, this is how we want it to be done. And it's frustrating when sometimes I'll like gamble, right? Where I'm like, no, I really wanted to do it this way because I promise you this is like, it's summer. I know people are looking for swimming options. Like, let me do this. I can tie in like a local, like here, let me, let me round up the local swimming holes in around Texas. Like this will do well. I know, like I guarantee you it'll do well. And it's frustrating to have the agency then push back and give me like, no, this is what the brand does. Do you want to do it or not? Like, do you want to get paid or not? And it's, it's disappointing to hear that because sometimes I, I wonder if it's the agency that's just being lazy and they're just like, no, this is too much work for us. Like we already pre-negotiated these terms and this is what mm-hmm. the, the concept approval that we've already proved. Like 
us having to go back to our client, we might get, our client might get annoyed at us, right? And mm-hmm. additionally, it's more work for us. So I just feel like there's been a lot of missed opportunities because you're placing an ad on my platform and my voice. And I know my audience the best. Like I know, I don't like the word sell. Like I don't like saying like, I know how to sell to my audience, but I do because right. I've had my brand for 10 years and I've seen the, the posts that don't do well. I usually know when a post is not going to do well. I mean, occasionally every once in a while, a post that I don't think will do well, sometimes will do well. And I'm like, really? That's unexpected. But it's shocking to me that brands and agencies aren't more willing to have a conversation with the influencer Mm -hmm. that they're about to pay thousands of dollars to sell their product to and say like, hey, what ideas do you have? Like, let's talk about this. It's like hiring a developer and telling them how to write the code. Have there been brands that have worked well with you in the sense that like they are open to it and then it turns into like a much bigger collaboration? Yeah, actually, I am trying to collect my thoughts. Actually, recently, so I've been a, and this conversation is not sponsored by GoDaddy or anything, but I've been a GoDaddy <laughs> customer for 10 years. I bought my domain on there in March 2010. And in January, they reached out to me and I thought it was spam. Cause I was just like, this seems like a, like a family, like GoDaddy sales call or something. <laughs> and it was GoDaddy. And they said, Hey, we want to do a project with you. It's like an activation that we've been doing in every single city. We feel like you're such a good storyteller in Austin. And it looks like you support a lot of local restaurants and businesses. Would you be interested in partnering with our photographer for two weeks to tell stories of like 20 businesses in Austin? And I was like a thousand percent. Yes. Because this is what I've been doing for free for Mm -hmm. 10 years. It's telling Mm -hmm. stories of the businesses and restaurants in my city. And like, oh my God, this is an amazing opportunity. And I went into like the whole thing about like, I've been a customer for 10 years and like all these things. Anyway, I, our partnership wrapped up in January and then they were going to do an activation in March at South by Southwest, which is a really big tech and music conference that happens in Austin every single year. And it brings in $350 million to the city of Austin. Mm -hmm. However, because of COVID-19, it was canceled, which was a good thing that that happened. But a lot of freelancers and um, creatives like myself lost all of our our gigs, right? Basically, my revenue for Q1 went out the window because Mm South by is such a big moneymaker. So much money is poured into it. And I reached out to GoDaddy and I said, hey, I have this domain that I bought on GoDaddy five years ago, HireCreative.co. At that time, I wanted to build a website to give back to the community and help creatives get hired because I started as a freelancer and I couldn't get like jobs. And I reached back to them and I said, hey, like I'm still paying for this domain renewal for the last five years and I would love to do this. Can you give me support? Mm -hmm. And you have to understand the company like GoDaddy is huge and it takes easy like six or eight months of planning for them to figure out like what activations and campaigns they want to do. And so it got up. I guess the totem pole pretty quickly that they came back to me after a week and they were like, absolutely. Yes. Like how can we offer support? And I think they've seen it as a good extension mm-hmm. because now all brands are trying to be able to get back in some sort of way. And so that's an example of where a brand was really receptive. And also like, you know, like I actively reached out to them. Like I wrote them a mid an email at midnight the day after South I was canceled. And I wrote them this long love letter about like, Hey, this happened. I know you pulled advertising budget out of South by. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to help out the community. Here's what I want to do. Like, would you do it with me? I think that's, that's an amazing story. What, what do you think? Um, what was it about the way you approached them that made them? Cause, cause you're right. Like something like this at a big company like GoDaddy does, doesn't, it takes a long time. Right. So what was it about the way you approached them that made them that interested that fast? I'm not sure because I had sent a similar email to a couple of brands that were going to pay me for projects during South by and all the other ones were like, Nope, no, thank you. Not interested. And those were from agencies. I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think it was because I was working a GoDaddy directly. I'm not having to go through an agency who has a client, right. And that right. agency usually has to do the vetting if they want to present it to the client. I feel like most times the agency doesn't even present the idea to the client. Why do you think that is? Cause they're lazy. And I'm sorry for any future agency person that's watching this because it's more work. It's more work for you to have to present it to the client and then 
you know, like you're paid a retainer. You're not paid to do extra work when you do for that retainer. I think that's why. Right. Why do you think that is? I think it's, it's a combination of that, but also courage. Like, I think a lot of people who are sort of working in those agencies don't want to go to the brand person and say like, this is a better idea or like that you're wrong on this. Because so I also do like sponsorships for podcasts. And, and most times when brands come to me, when I shared this with Tessa and when she started doing this, it was just like a game changer for her. I asked them like what their goals are and what their customer acquisition costs and all these things are. And they have no idea. And so then we just flipped the conversation being like, hey, okay, we've worked with 30 plus brands. We're going to tell you how this works. And then we can kind of like take control of the whole project. I feel like most agencies don't do that because of courage. And, and you're right, like just, they're just lazy. They don't want to like make that extra effort. And I think also for influencer marketing, it's kind of hard to measure KPIs. Like the only mm-hmm. KPI you can see are impressions, but how I don't think an agency is going back to the brand and, and when they're signing that contract and saying, hey, we're going to activate 50 influencers for you and that's going to generate you know, 200K in revenue. You just can't, you can't promise that. That's just advertising. Right. So what are the KPIs that the agencies that you work with, the brands that you work with, look at or ask for? They're just looking for impressions. They're just looking for brand awareness. That's interesting. It's a little different in the podcast world with like the URL tracking and all, but even that is completely broken because half of it isn't tracked. No, I mean, it's just impressions. And I think the other thing I want to go back to, the reason why I think GoDaddy a brand like that was receptive was because the project that we did in January was a success. And I think this also goes back to agencies. It's like, I think because I've been doing this for so long, sometimes when I'm pushing back to the, the agency, I'll say like, I promise you this will do well. Like I like swear to you <laughs> that the impressions are going to do well. And sometimes like, especially if it's a longer partnership, like a six month or one month, we have agencies that come back and when they're wrapping up all the impressions of the year, they come back and say like, hey, we just wanted to say that Jane was our smallest influencer out of the group and she had the highest ROI for the brand. She generated the most amount of impressions. Good job. And sometimes like I want to say like, well, I could have generated more if you had let me create the content the way I wanted to. Like Mm -hmm. I was like handcuffed and restricted, but that's still good to know that I still outperformed other people on the campaign who should have higher numbers because they have more, I don't know, followers or comments or whatever. And I think the same thing for GoDaddy was the project we did in January. It was Mm -hmm. really Instagram story. It was like very, like I had to do, I think like originally they wanted me to do like three Instagram stories a day. And I love doing Instagram stories. So when I saw that thing, I was just like, yeah, I'm totally doing more than just three stories a day because all these businesses have so many stories to tell. So I ended up doing, I think, five times the amount of work that was originally contracted mm-hmm. just because I the project was such a perfect fit for my brand. And I was passionate to do that much more work that just from stories alone, I have to check the numbers. I think in two weeks, I generated 250, 100,000 impressions just on stories. That's amazing. I think in that one, another thing that I hear is you're not doing this almost to like be an influencer. You're doing this because you love doing it and supporting the businesses that you're supporting. And because of that, you have influence. Because I think a lot of people get into this with the wrong motive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do that like storytelling in local businesses all the time for free. And I think that's that's another thing that people ask me is like, hey, you do so much for all these local businesses and like, all these little local restaurants, how much do they pay you? They must pay you so much money because you're filling seats every single night in town. And I'm like, zero dollars. I've never, and they're like, what, why? And I'm like, I just don't, I don't want to charge local and I don't need to. You might have a few restaurants contacting you after this. After I mean, there, <laughs> there are restaurants who are like, can I pay you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you for doing that actually, first of all. Let's, let's actually switch to sort of like the COVID stuff, because I think it is interesting. Um, before we even get to it, you shared an interesting stat with me before we started around just sort of like the state of influencer marketing from different agencies. So do you want to start by sharing that in, in terms of what's happening? Yeah, so I think my audience is also quite educated as some of them have reached out to me and said, hey, how's your business doing? It mm-hmm. seems like you're, you're okay because you're online, right? Because anyone that is retail, that's brick and mortar, that's a restaurant, whoever, like everything is just bad right now. There's... As of last week, there's 6.6 million Americans who are going to be claiming unemployment this year, which is an all-time high and very, very terrifying and sad. But 
this is the thing about influencer marketing and me as an influencer slash blogger is that we're hundred percent dependent on advertising. And what's the first thing that gets, gets cut when there's a crisis? Advertising is always the first thing to get cut. It's not a necessity. It's an add-on for a brand if they can, if they have the budget to spend money on advertising. And then the next thing they get cut is marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Like core of any business or brand is operations. Like that's, that's always the bulk of what costs amount of money is operations and staffing, you know? And so my business has decreased by 80%, which is a big percentage. And I think that's the same thing across the board from the different webinars and connecting with different networks that I'm in. And like, I see my, my blog and my Instagram as two separate businesses just because Mm -hmm. The, the revenue streams are kind of separate. And just on the blog, like my, my traffic is down 80%, which is mm-hmm. really sad. And the ad network that I'm in is it, people in the group who are travel bloggers or, or lifestyle or like city, city focused, which is me because I'm also Austin awesome focused. Everyone's like revenue and, and rep traffic are down 80%. Whereas parenting slash food bloggers who are like recipe bloggers and maybe DIY are up 20 or 30% because everyone's at home doing that kind of stuff now. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of terrifying to see how this has impacted, I guess, the influencer industry. But like at the same time, like I've been very open-minded because I have a lot of peers who are like, were upset when the Instagram algorithm happened and, you know, Instagram plummeted our, our, our engagement and like you know, all these like platforms did this and that. And I've always been very open-minded where I'm like, we don't own this platform. Like it is, we're allowed to produce content on these platforms and we're lucky enough to then be paid to create content. And so if this ends and disappears, like my mindset has always been like, well, now then I can retire and go have a normal lifestyle and not have to work a hundred hours a week on producing content. Where does that sort of like mindset come from for, from for you? Because I, and I'll tell you why I'm asking that. Because I think a lot of sort of like influencers I see, like there's almost this, um, what's the word? Like they feel like like the world should be doing them a favor because they have an audience and all these things, right? And like, I think in the way you describe it, there's this humility. So I'm just curious like where that comes from. I think that's a combination of things. I grew up in a really small town in South Texas with a population of 10,000 people. And growing up, I was I'm tiny. So I was like bullied and also being like Asian American in like a South Texas town that is predominantly Caucasian and Hispanic. So I always kind of had this like mindset that I was never going to make it in life, which I know mm-hmm. sounds sad, but I'm totally fine. And then I don't think when it's I, sad, by the way, I think it's just, it's what it, it was. Yeah. Um, and people, I think most people who follow me, I, I haven't really told this story, maybe just in like one or two interviews before. And so most people are like, oh, you're a Dallas girl. Like you, you're, you definitely from Dallas because of the way you carry yourself, the way you look, the way you dress, the way you like present yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm actually from a really small Texas town. And my parents are super frugal. So I think that has to do with it a little bit. And also the fact that like, it took me a long time to find a job. I got my degree in nutrition and I originally wanted to work in business, but my grades just weren't good enough to get into the McCombs business school, which is like top five in the nation or something. And I worked four part-time jobs in college, not for money, but just so I could break out of my shell Mm -hmm. and figure out what I could do in life. And I worked a bunch of different marketing jobs along the way. And I was never, I never had a salary more than like 40 K. And I felt like that was just like the, the roof in Austin, just because marketing doesn't pay that well. It's like a developer job that can be like 150 K and the unemployment rate in Austin has always been really low. So it's really competitive to find a job and anyone can do marketing. So I think it's because it took me years to find a good paying job. And then it was up till 2014 when I felt like, okay, I'm working at this food startup. I'm not making a lot of money, still hitting that salary cap, but at least like I found my like place and home and I'm building this brand and I'm doing well. And then that's when my blog starts getting a little traction. I was getting different brands like UT and Whole Foods were asking me to come speak to their teams on how to build a social media presence slash branding for their brands. Mm-hmm. The way they saw, they were like, if this little blogger can do this and build a blog, how are we not able to do this as like a global brand? And this is obviously before Whole Foods was acquired by Amazon. My company slash boss that I worked for, who was 50 years old, didn't go for it. 
he's less than thrilled that I was getting all this recognition. And he told me that this is not what I was getting paid to do and that I would never be a leader in my community. And he would like make sure of that. So I quit my job the next day. So oh, yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think it's because of, I've been there like at ground zero. And I think I just don't want to be in that position. And because I've been there, whereas like, I think people who, like you said, feel like, oh, the world owes them and these platforms owe them all these, you know, wonderful things. And how can Instagram take this away from me? Like, how dare they? It's because they've seen the road paid for them. And I see this because of like, when I do these brand partnerships, like the same thing with GoDaddy, like several influencers had messaged me and they're like, oh my God, this is my dream partnership. I want to work with them and tell local stories too. How did you get this? And I was like, literally it took me a decade to Mm -hmm. get the dream partnership with GoDaddy. Right. It took me a decade. I mean, it probably would have been shorter. I was just, I was just a good option for them as they were looking at this project, but things like that don't just happen. And I think because people see that, well, it happened to that person and I'm better than them. So I should get it. I deserve it. Why did she get that? Yeah. I also have a sense that I think like the way you work with brands, you probably make it easy for them. Cause one of the things I've, seen and done and and heard is when brands work with creatives the process is just really painful on both sides because a lot of like the people on the creative or blogging side aren't doing it professionally is that sort of like what you've seen too or yeah because so I think that's also why I work so many hours is the reason why I've worked myself nearly to death for the last four years because I've been working so many hours and doing so many things is because I've been there at ground zero and I never I don't want to ever hopefully be in that position again. So I'm trying to, I've been saving and saving for so many years now. I've always had that, like, I guess, like responsible mindset just because my parents were like, you can come back home and live with us. And I'm like, oh my God, that is the last thing that will ever (laughs) happen to me. So I worked and saved and I I bought my house at, I think it was 25. I can't remember. Because of the pandemic that's happening right now, a lot of my fellow friends who were living month to month and they're like, how am I going to pay rent next month, right? Like I've been saving and saving. So I have a good runway, assuming if this pandemic doesn't take like two years. So when it comes to brands, like I, yeah, absolutely. I try to make their life as easy as I can. Like I read, I get on phone calls if I feel like it's necessary and I will throw ideas at them because the most frustrating thing for a creator and a brand slash agency is having to reshoot is say it's Ikea and they're doing furniture. And I'm like, okay, I did this. I renovated. I did the whole thing, hire a videographer to film it. And then the brand's like, I, we don't like it. Right. Redo it. Can you give it to us tomorrow? No, I can't give it to you tomorrow. Cause now I have to rehire the videographer. Are you going to pay me extra? Cause I have to pay them again. Cause it's basically like a new project. Like, no, so I try to make sure I communicate my ideas with the brand slash agency completely mm-hmm. and say like, this is what I'm going to do. And especially if it's a video shoot, I will actually spend a good amount of time writing out like the second by second of what I'm going to do. Like, it'll be like five seconds. I'm going to walk into this room wearing this. Then I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to pull the product and hold it this way. Mm-hmm. Like it's very detail oriented because I never want to reshoot. That's the most time-consuming part of of brand partnerships is having to shoot and reshoot. So yeah, I try to make sure I I fully understand what the brand and agency, what their vision is. And if I feel like it's not a good idea, I'll try to convey my concerns, whether or not they're accepted or not. So yeah. I think that's really cool. I think, yeah, it's just sort of like preparation and and having a vision. A lot of creatives don't have that. Or, or, Or sometimes actually, I think on one side, they don't have it. And on the other side, sometimes they feel like they can't bring it up. I think it's just, it's a lot of work. It's the same thing like for restaurant visits. Like usually before I get to the restaurant, I already know what shot I want. And I think I've kind of established my reputation a little bit where sometimes some restaurants will even message me beforehand and be like, hey, we, we're new. We just opened. Here's some photos of the interior because we know you plan out your outfit. I'm not even a freaking fashion blogger, but mm-hmm. I think because of my cohesive branding that some managers are like, we know you plan out your outfits to be able to pa- match the restaurant setting that you're in. And again, I'm not getting paid to do these restaurant posts, but I want my whole feed to be cohesive and look professional. Right. And it's the same thing when brands and agencies reach out to me, they'll say like, 
we found you on Google, you have all this content. Then we started looking at location tags in Austin. Like, how do you have a photo at every single restaurant in town? <laughs> like I've done this so many years. So that's why. And yeah, like I think I just take my brand very seriously. And especially even for travel campaigns, those are the most time consuming. And I think that's the biggest misconception for those of us that do travel for a living by working mm-hmm. with partners partners is that oh my gosh so lucky you just went to Hawaii and you did this thing the first four seasons and yada yada like no I before those trap before I travel like I spend the first two months like sourcing outfits and again I'm not a fashion blogger and I'm not linking my outfits and like to know it so I'm not even making commission on these outfits but I just want my photos to look cohesive and I'm spending days on Pinterest and Google basically writing out my itinerary and it's a little obsessive and OCD because I'll write out like every hour what I'm going to be doing at the destination and I have it all like tagged and indexed on Google Maps so that I can make the most of my time and like I'm at this restaurant I'm like okay there's this park we're gonna go there shoot this photo next to the waterfall or something and then we're gonna jump to this coffee shop that's like 0.3 miles away and sometimes I'll look even further and be like okay at the coffee shop we're gonna order this iced cereal milkshake or something because it's their specialty but it's obscene, right? No one does this. It's yeah, a lot it's, it's, of work. preparing. But that's how I operate. Like I have it all on my phone when we're traveling. Like it's on my notepad. Mm-hmm. But basically like I like broken out I agenda of what I'm going to do. And like when I have travel partners, like most tourism partners will come back to me and say like, we sent you to our destination for three days and you did the equivalent of like two weeks. Like how did you go to all these places? And I'm like, I don't want to tell you how I did this because you think I'm crazy. What, what, this is because I've, I've worked with a lot of people and I know they don't plan it as, as much as you. What, what are sort of like, and, and this is a general question, in terms of content, how do you think about content and sort of like what's your process besides what you just mentioned for planning out content and, and what's going to work, what's not? Because yeah, just in the way you describe that, I realize it's it's way more intense and detailed than I even thought of. I think... I run my business not as a blogger, but as a marketer, like Mm -hmm. a basically all in house, like 10 person marketing team is I'm con like, I know because I'm doing this for so long that I know what kind of content I'm going to produce. So especially if it's for travel, I can't go back and reshoot the destination. So I'm spending hours and hours of research trying, knowing like, what am I going to shoot? What I don't want to miss when I'm at the destination, how I'm going to like plan it, how what I'm going to wear. And then figuring out like, okay, if there's a blog post attached to it, then I have to figure out like, okay, how do I collect all the the details and data while I'm there? Like I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll chat with the barista and ask them like, Hey, like what's cool around here? Like, or why do you like working here? And I'm, I'm taking notes along the way on my phone. So when I get back from the trip, mm-hmm. I have like my blog post pretty much typed up because I was taking notes like at every single spot that I was going to. And it's the same thing for like all these restaurants in town. My hard drive has a folder of I think 400 folders with a folder on each restaurant. And some restaurants have like multiple folders based by year when I mm-hmm. visited. And it's just being like incredibly organized. And as you know, like I self-published my first book last year and I did it in five weeks. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know you did it in five weeks. I know you yeah. self-published. <laughs> yeah, I self-published my book on Austin, Texas, which is a travel book in five weeks. And for those of you who might be new in publishing or not knowing anything about books is nobody does it in five weeks. Like if it's usually a book is like maybe 12 months. If it's a cookbook, it could be like two years. And when you say self-published, you you also did all like design, writing, everything in five weeks, it sounds right. So I hired a designer, but I worked really closely with them because I knew exactly what I wanted the book to look like. And this Mm -hmm. is again, like years of research, which I feel like I've already conveyed at this point is, and that's how I, I do my projects is this book project wasn't like a one year project that I accomplished in five weeks. This was like a six, I would say a six year project because I've been collecting travel books for six Mm -hmm. years now. I've just been hoarding them and going through and I have like sticky notes on different elements of the book where I'm like, oh, I like how they have like the way they did like when you flip the pages or hey, I like this paper or like, why are there not more photos? Like, why do they not have more photos? Reason why I don't have more photos, photos are very expensive. But I was able to do it in five weeks because I have all this content that's just been sitting in my head because you have to think like every single day before COVID-19, I would get like 10 or so requests of like, someone's like, Hey, 
I want to go to East Austin and I'm looking for a Mexican restaurant that's had happy hour. I'm gonna tell you, oh, okay, you can go to El Cholito and their happy hours are five to seven and it's like half off tacos. That's all in my head because I, I have it all like memorized. And so when the book happened, I was having to like brain dump like eight years of knowledge onto paper and having to organize it and then look through all the photos. And the book, my book has, I think like 250 photos in it, I wanna say. And, and um, the design is beautiful, by the way. Think, oh, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so the book was very, it's very hard to launch product. And this is also something that I was surprised to learn is that brand partnerships are easy. Like, honestly, it is easy to work with brands. And it's easy to say like, yeah, I'll do this sponsored post and I'll, I'll get paid $3,000 and say like, Hey, here's like this kombucha, which I actually really like. And here's the healthy lifestyle that I can have with the kombucha. Boom, $300, I mean, $3,000 done. Instagram posts is up, but it is incredibly hard to sell product. And I think that's just something that influencers don't know that I've, I've told other people who are like, oh my gosh, you look like you had such great success with your product. I see it everywhere. I know you're selling like crazy because I, everyone I know has one and there's like, oh, was it so easy? And I'm like, no product is so hard. It is so hard to convince someone to spend $20 on a little book that you published when people are totally okay dropping $200 at a restaurant that I told them to go to. Right. And I don't know why that is. I think the first, first, because I've done a lot of book marketing. It's like, I think like people have sort of this idea of like what a book should cost. And if it's just like the price point is not what they expect, they just don't do it. One of the things I've also seen is like, you've done a lot of like partnerships in terms of like the book is in a lot of places in Austin. I think even at the airport. How did you know that? I did you research. Live, do, you, do you live here in Austin? I do. Yeah. Oh, oh, you do. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Now. And, and then <laughs> also, when you were talking about restaurants, I was like, I now know how to who to ask for recommendations for restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> but so, how, like, yeah. how did all of that come about? The airports and and everywhere in the city. Yeah. So this was the other thing with the book was it was also a big misconception was that people thought that all these restaurants paid to do this, be in this book. And I've had to say it a couple of times where I'm like, no, actually, no one paid to be in this book. None of these restaurants have ever paid me to be this book. This book cost me about almost 10 grand to produce. I did it out of my own like savings, not knowing if I would make a return on investment. And I, on the dedication page, it says that it's dedicated to the city of Austin. I love dearly. And yeah, like there, no restaurants paid to be in this book. None of the shops did. I had a goal to sell one copy. That was honestly my goal. I think most people's goals are to write a book and have it published, whether you mm-hmm. self-publish it. And that was my goal. So I was happy if just one book sold. And I did an initial run at 1500, which sold out in about, I think, a month and a half. And it was unexpected to have so many shops reach out to me who, I think it's relationship building, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure, like, I don't know, because I'm not a marketing agency. I didn't de- delve into like, oh, here's the marketing strategy, how we did it with all the KPIs. I think it's just a lot of relationships. It was shops that... I either popped in at least once and did like an Instagram story or I mentioned them on the blog. But then it was also shops that have never heard from me who were like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, can we please sell your book? Like, we would love to. We just know it's going to do so well. I think it was also a good product market fit, mm-hmm. which is something that you hear a lot in the startup world is you can spend all the money and time on marketing, but if it's not a good product market fit, it's just not going to sell. And I think because Austin is such an in-demand city that people are wanting to come here, move here, travel here, that it was just a good product mm-hmm. at the time. Thank God I didn't launch it right now during COVID-19 because I wouldn't have sold a single copy. No Very different. Yeah. So a lot of the shops and coffee shops actually reached out to me to ask if I would sell it. And mm-hmm. then I was pulling extra hours till I was up to like 4am on most weeks, like wrapping book orders. Because I also, I also self printed by using a local printer here in Austin. So I have hand wrapped every single book that's been sold. Even if it's sold on Amazon, I still wrap all of the hundreds of books that have been sold through Amazon. And I knew that there had to be a better way than me like checking in with stores and saying like, Hey, are y'all okay on stock? Are you sold out? Do you need me to drop something off? It was like another full-time job. Like I took almost two months off of blogging 
Like I was turning mm-hmm. down partnerships up to the point where I felt like my manager was going to say like, Hey, Jane, time to get back to work because mm-hmm. you're like making no money from the book. Like I was probably getting my hourly pay for the book. is probably $5 an hour. If yeah. anything, I think that's a misconception that people have that like books, authors don't make money from their books. Most authors don't. No, they don't. No, you like, yeah. no, like I had, I had a publisher come to me early on who was like, Hey, we, we were always wondering when you were going to do a book and we want to sign you for it. And now we want to talk about your next book. And I was like, my next book, like this book nearly killed me. Like, I don't think I ever want to do a book again. And they were like, okay, well, how about we help you with this book? And I was like, okay, like show me your numbers. And I actually talked to Tessa, like I told you, like I connected with her with the phone. Cause I, I don't really know. I don't talk to too many book authors. So I, I told her that, Hey, yeah, this publisher came to me and said that they can do 3000 copies. And I was like, great. That's like kind of what my goal is. And they were like in three years. And I was like, three years. No, like my goal is to do 3000 copies by hopefully the first year. And I already surpassed that in five months. And even when I was talking to Tessa, she was just like, how many copies did you sell? Like how that's so high. And again, I think it was just good product market fit. I think it's, I had a lot of, I've built thousands of relationships by now in the city and Mm -hmm. I answer every single DM, I answer every single email. During the holidays, it wasn't people who were buying one book. It was like 10 books at a time because they were giving them as a gift. And even like some people were buying like 50 at a time to give away as gifts. So that's not, I don't think that's a relationship that just comes naturally. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't know every single person that bought the book. I think most people who bought the book are probably someone that has just heard of me. They might not even follow me, but I think it's the brand name. And I would like to think that I've given back a lot to the city. I've done a lot of good, I guess, goodwill, if you would say, like when Hurricane Harvey hit the city, I organized this relief fund, I guess it's been three years since the hurricane, where we provided 250 relief packages to refugees that were relocated to Austin. And I give a lot of money to the nonprofits in town. So I think that's stuff that just takes a lot of work that nobody wants to do. It, yes, it's relationship building and it doesn't happen at scale. And it's, it's so cool to hear kind of like you describe it, because honestly, I've, I've sort of been jaded by the influencer world myself but like kind of like just hearing the effort and, and the way you've done it is inspiring me because it's it's no one else does this all of this work um that you're talking about and it's interesting to hear kind of like how many of your sales book sales are like bulk sales do you have a sense of like how many of the the sales that you made were like what percentage were bulk versus like single orders and i know this is a random question and i wouldn't even ask that to anyone else but for some reason i have a sense you'd have an idea because you're more metrics driven than a lot of creative people I've met. Yeah. So I would say maybe 20% of my sales are bulk sales. So that's a, that's a combination of that 20%. It's a combination of individuals that were buying like 10 or 20 or 30 at uh-huh. a time to give out as gifts. But it's also a combination of companies because the fun thing about my book, which I should have just had a copy of it with me, but I don't have it with me. The little yellow book is that it can be branded with company logos. So I had several companies that actually did very, very big bulk buys because they can get their logo printed on the back. That's genius. Which you can't do with, I'm trying to read this right now. It's not happening, but you can't print a logo on the back. You cannot, no. That's fascinating. That's such a great way because, yeah, because companies look for gifts they can give and you've just made it really easy for them to give a gift, especially if they're a local Austin company. And again, it's like product market fit is I think I spend maybe like, I would say maybe 10% of my inquiries are people who work in corporate. So Mm -hmm. this is an inquiry that can come in and be like, Hey Jane, we have executives who are coming in and we need to spend $150 per person at a restaurant. What's the most expensive restaurant in town? Like I actually get that question a lot or like, Hey, we're trying to do gifts what's the most expensive branded gift that we could possibly give? And then it's like, oh, hey, my company's hosting a retreat here in Austin. Do you have any suggestions on group activities that they can do? So I had a feeling and I I never proactively reached out to companies saying like, hey, here's here's my book. Do you think you guys want to do like any gifting? All been people who I guess follow me on Instagram who then email me and say like, hey, I think I saw you did, you do branding on books. Like, I work at X, Y, and Z and we want to do like 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Can we get the logo on it? Because these are the employees that are moving to Austin and the company, the secretary or assistant doesn't want to be telling them, oh yeah, here's what you can do this weekend. Welcome to town. There's something mm-hmm. like, here's the book. Enjoy the new city that you've moved to. 
That's amazing. Um, did you have rewards for people for to do bulk buys? No, but I I send thank you gifts. Interesting. I think so. I think that's something you should you could explore is like if people do bulk buys because they're already doing the, it, they get certain rewards. I know when Tim launched the Four Hour Chef, he did this thing called like the Land Rush campaign because the book was basically banned from I think like retail stores because it was partnering with Amazon. So they needed like bulk sales at the start and did this thing called the Land Rush campaign and it it did crazy. Interesting. No, like I, I usually just um, send a thank you gift to whoever the buyer is. They like, hey, thank you so much for thinking of the book for your company. Another idea, I'm sorry, I'm just, now my brain's churning. Oh, I, I think another thing you could potentially explore actually is if people are already asking you for recommendations is partner with restaurants to create like the cocoa special. Yeah. So that like restaurants go there for like their company dinners and get a book. And then you just have sort of like a packets set up with a restaurant and the restaurant wins and you win and everyone wins. That's a great idea. I'll have to definitely pocket that one. For when, when we can go back to restaurants. Well, when restaurants are open. Yeah. yeah, because you have the, and I think this is another thing that people don't understand is like, if you don't have the relationships, it's hard to do these things. But if you've spent 10 years building the relationships, most of those companies will be super open to that because you've spent so much time helping them in the past. Yeah, I mean, if only, I've always said like, the best advertising spend that anyone could ever spend with me is honestly a local restaurant just because of I know how many seats I'm filling. You know, mm-hmm. like those are direct sales. Like I do an Instagram post and say like, hey guys, I'm here at Old Thousand having your compound cauliflower and it's amazing. Like boom, like people, people come in the week, right? When I, there was this cute little bagel truck that opened up earlier this year and they said the day after I posted my Instagram story, they were sold out for the week. And not every restaurant owner will take the time to like tell that to me. Right. So mm-hmm. the few that do, like, it makes me feel good. Cause I'm like, Oh, good. Like that makes me feel good. Cause I, then I know people are listening. Cause I don't know. I don't know when people are going. Right. And that's the biggest problem is like, you never get like the sort of like feedback and you don't know if it's actually working or not. Speaking of sort of giving back to local restaurants, I know you mentioned the um, hire a creative project. So if you wanted to share more, I'd love to kind of like learn more about that. And I also know you're doing another project, which is the 100 for hospitality. Hospitality, um, right. Yeah. So I launched two projects right now as we're all going through the pandemic. And quick thing I think it's important to highlight is you're doing this to help local restaurants while your business is also down. Yes. Which is a great business strategy, right? <laughs> I think we're all trying to do what we can do to help. Yeah. So I don't know why I do this to myself is I overwork myself. I've I've had, I've had conversations with other people in my industry who are just like, why are you doing all these things right now? Like you're clearly stressed and overworked and you're not getting paid from this. Just take the time off and it's like a vacation. I don't know. I think I thrive on stress and when there's chaos. And so I might freak out for the first couple of days and then I'll like run towards the fire as my friend Linda told me a couple of days where she's like, normal people run away from the fire, but you just run blazing into the fire and then come Mm -hmm. out of it. So when South by got canceled, thousands and hundreds of creatives lost their gigs. And these are people who have medical bills that they're really counting on South by to you know, give them the extra three grand or four Mm -hmm. grand to be able to pay stuff off. And like, for me, the same thing, like Q1 is always the slowest quarter of the year. And I think most influencers don't know that it's just, it's the slowest quarter of the year because brands are slowly renegotiating their contracts with the agency. So the agency doesn't even know if they're going to have this contract again, or if they're going to have any new contracts. And then it'll take months of planning to figure out like, okay, we're a brand. We want to focus 300K on marketing efforts this year. We're going to allocate 100K of 300K to influencers. Mm-hmm. And we want to target New York, LA, and Austin. And we want to particularly work with lifestyle slash food influencers who can target millennial audiences between the age of 25 to 35. So then when they look at Austin, they'll probably see me, especially if it's an agency that I've already worked with, because I have a really good portfolio with most of the ad agencies slash influencer agencies, and then campaigns carry out from there. So South by is a big, it's like 80% of my revenue for Q1. So Mm -hmm. that got canceled. So I lost all of my projects for March, basically. But I was like, oh my gosh, this is a great time for me to launch Hire Creative, which is a platform that I envisioned that would help creatives to be 
listed on and to get discovered and hopefully hired. Mm-hmm. And when I pitched it to GoDaddy and when I, when I shared it with my network, I had said that I said, I know this is not a short-term solution right now mm-hmm. because no one is hiring. Like, Hey, like I'm not getting hired for projects either, mm-hmm. but this is a long-term strategy. And let's like, think about like, how can freelancers and creatives like take this time? Like, what do you do for the next three or four months? Like, I think this is an amazing time is that there's so many things you can do. And I've, I've done a couple of mentorship sessions with different creatives for other things that people have organized. And I've said like, this is a great time for you to reconnect with clients that you worked with in the past and say like, Hey, how can I help you right now? Because you would never have that kind of time to do that. So yeah. I thought it'd be a great time to launch HiredCreative.co. On that, there's a really great tweet from Naval Ravikant, which was, returns are made on the way up and reputations are made on the way down. And I think a lot of people aren't thinking that, that they can help people and make a reputation. So within two weeks, there's been, I think, close to 300 people that have signed up to be on HiredCreative.co. Mm-hmm. And we've received almost 10, I think we received nine job inquiries, which is, I think, pretty good considering no one's hiring Mm -hmm. right now. And hopefully we can get that website built out in the next couple of months. So Mm -hmm. yeah, right now it's just a landing page. And then the other project I launched the same day, basically, (laughs) is 100 for Hospitality. So I was very devastated the first week when restaurants in Austin were mandated to close. And I know Austin is a little bit behind New York and San Francisco slash California, mm-hmm. just as we're kind of in a bubble, but the restaurants were mandated to close until May 1st right now. And even for me, who's been in the industry, the restaurant industry for eight years, I don't think any of us realized what was the domino effect that was going to happen as dining clothes were mandated to close because then restaurants were not like, what do you do as a fine dining restaurant where you've always been like, no to go, no takeout. Mm -hmm. You had to like, everyone has to have, they've had to pivot and you go from, I don't know, making five grand a night to like $500. What do you do? You have to let go of staff because again, operations is the biggest cost. It's the Mm -hmm. biggest cost. And like, I think I was also quite surprised as when I started calling some of the restaurant owners I'm really good friends with. I was like, Hey, they have that no eviction rule right now. Like, can you just like not pay rent? And they were like, Jane, rent is cheap compared to all the other costs for a restaurant. Like, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. but your rent is like 10 grand a month. And they were like, I'm paying hundreds of thousands for my staff. Like I have 200 employees. Do you know how high my payroll is? I had to let go of 80% of my staff today. And the first week I probably had 150 restaurants that reached out to me over email slash Instagram DM slash a texting service that I also have that I don't charge for people to text me for recommendations. And it was heartbreaking. And I was overwhelmed with basically all these cries for help and just hearing about the hundreds and thousands of people that were laid off in the service industry. Mm -hmm. And I've never really serviced the service industry directly, right? Because I'm just telling people where to eat. And then people tip, you know, when you eat out, but I felt like, okay, what can I do during this time? And I had to like really adapt this mentality was like, okay, if I'm helping everyone, I'm helping no one. Mm -hmm. So, and this is kind of the, I guess, advice that I would give to any influencer or someone who wants to be an influencer or blogger right now is pick a certain population of people that you want to help right now. And just really focus on that because mm-hmm. there's so many companies and organizations and influencers who are doing so, so many good things. And I decided to help the service industry, right? Like instead of just helping like all the restaurants in Austin, like I just can't, mm-hmm. like I, I just physically can't do that. So I was inspired to launch Hunter for Hospitality, which helps provide 100 meals a day for free for any service industry person that has been laid off by a restaurant in Austin affected by COVID-19, while also being able to pay that restaurant for that meal. And I didn't think this was going to be a success. My goal was relatively small. I think my original goal was to be able to provide like meals for one week and I priced it out at like $5 a meal. I don't know how in-depth you want me to go. No, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like anyone who's watching this is going to be like, wow, this is all the stuff that goes on our head. I think I think details like this, like, first of all, like most people don't think them. And, and it's sort of, it, it's given me an idea of like how you think about it. And it's 
I'm always fascinated by the details. Yeah. So most of my friends are like, Jane, I don't think it's been five minutes in your head. And I'm like, no, you probably don't want to know all the things because I've had so many business ideas during these like last two weeks. And I'm like, oh my God, if I had more time, I could do this and this and this, but I just can't. So I had figured out like, okay, I can do one week of meals. And I had prepared myself that I was like, okay, I can, I will pledge to make a donation of a thousand dollars so I can cover two days. So I just need the five other days of the week, right. To break it down to baby steps. And I connected with one of my friends that owns milk collective. She's a restaurant publicist. And I told her like, Hey, this is what I want to do. Do you think some of your restaurant clients be interested? I'm going to launch a GoFundMe to raise money. I don't know how much we'll raise, but I can, I can personally cover two days of meal. And she was like, Oh my gosh. Like I was literally on the phone all day with clients and a lot of them are providing food for the staff that they've laid off and they, some of them are doing okay. They just want to give back to the community, but they don't know how. And so within, I think three days, we had figured out the whole, the whole thing. We launched the GoFundMe. We had an original plan of just raising $3,000 and we raised that in like three days. That's amazing. And then I think we're on day 10 now. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. on day 10 and we're close to $15,000 at this point. So instead of just doing two weeks, we're doing 32 days of mm-hmm. meals. And it's been quite a headache to be organizing this. I've been, I was up to like 4am for the last three weeks, basically, um, because we have a list of at this point, 700 laid off service industry people who are on our list. And this is not everyone that's been laid mm-hmm. off. Like I think in Austin, there's probably 5,000 people in the service mm-hmm. industry that have been laid off. But on our list, we have 700 people who I use a tool called Calendly to basically have people sign up for meals during a two hour time slot every day. So that way the restaurant does not get slammed with a hundred people in one sitting and that they're just, they know to just cook an extra hundred meal. And then we're, we're paying them $500 for providing hundred meals a day. So you're paying the five, the restaurant $500. So it's basically five, five bucks a meal for yeah. the restaurant. Yeah. I think one thing that could be interesting is like offering that to the public in a way where like they can buy one meal for themselves, but also have to buy a meal for someone else. So you can get paid 10 bucks and get a meal for yourself and someone else. Yeah. So that's why I think our GoFundMe was successful is because I was telling people like on my blog post and on Instagram every single day, like, Hey, here's this. Now this restaurant's doing takeout. Now this restaurant's doing takeout. But realistically, like there's only so much food a person can eat, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. eat more than, I don't know, four meals a day. So the way I, I shared it and, and I knew that I could maybe rally my audience because again, like I know my audience the best, right? And I know that I can get them excited. I I could rally them to donate money. And I was just like, Hey, like $5 donation equals one meal. And so I think that's why we had so many donations pour in within a couple of days is that people Mm -hmm. were like, yes, absolutely. Like, let me make, and it's interesting because a lot of our, our first, I guess, five days of donations were not like $5 donations. They were hundred dollar donations at a time. And I think people are just wanting to give back, but they just need to know if it's a credible source, which again, like, I think because I have the brand name and people know that I'm going to be doing something good with the money because at that time, like I wanted to donate too, but I'm like, who do I donate to? There's right. all GoFundMe and I don't know who this person that's organizing and I don't know if the money's actually going to the person that needs it. And so, yeah, like the reason why I was running a little late to our podcast was because I, I went to one of the restaurants tonight to shoot some photos for a newspaper that wants to run an article on this thing. So they're like, can you give us photos? And I was like, yeah, I guess I can go to a restaurant and take photos of <laughs> meals. So yeah, like I, I decided to launch that and now we're going to do it till May 1st. And... The way I see it is my business is down 80%. I need to do the numbers because I personally donated 100% of proceeds for my merch shop online to Hunter for Hospitality. I need to go back and double check the numbers, but I think I personally have donated 1500 to mm-hmm. Hunter for Hospitality. So not only am I not making money for my business right now, I'm donating and, I'm, and probably in in total to all the different causes that are happening right now, I probably donated $2,000. The reason why I'm doing that, I don't know. <laughs> I think a part of me has always wants to give back to businesses when I can. And mm-hmm. 
other influencers that have kind of talked to me who are freaking out about, oh my gosh, like, how are you doing on ads? Like, are you getting any partnerships right now? I'm just like, no. And they're like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm working on these two charitable projects that are costing me a lot of money (laughs) because that's the only thing that you can do right now. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the most beautiful thing about situations like this is that any other time of the year, I am busy working till 4am trying to shoot, edit content for a brand. I don't have time to do something that gives back to the community in such a big capacity. Like Mm -hmm. I'm always willing to make a donation to a nonprofit, but that Mm -hmm. takes like a couple of seconds to like $500, put in my credit card information and just gets donated. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about right now is that you can give back. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you're a photographer, right? Like I have a lot of friends that are photographers and I've been telling them like, this is a great time to reach out to local restaurants and small local businesses and say like, Hey, can I help you with any photos? Are you transitioning to online? Do you need product photos? If you ship me the product, I can do all these photos for free, but I know not everyone can do that or wants to do that. Yeah. But I think this is a great time to do that. I agree. I think like anything that people can do to help, they should. And we're coming up towards time. Um, so, so last question is, is a new question that we've been testing, which is since the name of the show is Conscious Creators, I'm curious, like, what does that mean for you? Like being a conscious creator? I think I actually resonate a lot with that because I think I'm very conscious and very aware of where my brand is and where I stand in my city that I live in and what I can do for the community. So being very conscious of the certain the current pandemic that we're going through, it's like, yeah, I could be freaking out like everybody else and be like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my business? My revenue is down. But instead I'm like, hey, this is a great time to get back. And so I'm going to spend my time doing that. And maybe it'll come back in some sort of way in months from now. I don't know. But I think Mm -hmm. it's being very, very aware of your brand and what you can do, like what good you can do. I think that's the perfect thought to leave people with, which is if, if you can't do anything, figure out a way to give back. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Hey, it's Sachet again. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, make sure you thank our guests and let them know what you thought. There's easy links to all of their social media, Twitter, Instagram, everything else in the show notes. Secondly, make sure you head on over to creators.show to get new episodes, exclusive guides, partner deals, and additional bonuses. See you next week.